had the most beautiful dream. It was the perfect day. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and then climb inside your bodies. <laughs> so that we could stay one happy family. <laughs> I was just a little girl I asked my mother What is this, Danny? I found it What will I be? Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, nosy douchebag teenagers. Hmm. Do we have any of those listeners? I wonder. Eh, maybe. How the hell are you doing, Mike? <laughs> I am doing well. Uh, a lot of movies have been watched. A lot of shows have been watched. I'll be talking about all those when we finally record our 52nd episode of... Uh, no more room in hell. I feel like my list of what we've been watching is keeps growing, and I keep thinking like, okay, I'll knock this one off because I can only talk about so much on there too. But uh, yeah, it's been a fun two weeks of just watching lots of stuff. So ready to talk about none of those on this episode, but uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about something else. So let me introduce Don and Ellie as well. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Always happy to be here. <laughs> All right, so no surprise should it be that we are covering Evil Dead Rise. It was released in the theater this past week, as well as we pretty much announced it ahead of time, uh, according to our schedule. So we got Evil Dead Rise. Uh, The synopsis, a twisted tale of two estranged sisters whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable this one's written and directed by lee cronin all right uh we will start with our general thoughts on evil dead rise and that is gonna be uh venom who will start us off so what did you think of evil dead rise 
I thought it was pretty good. I, I had a really fun time with it. Um, the action starts out right away. We get a cool little, well, at least in my opinion, a cool little uh, cold open. And potentially one of the coolest title cards I've ever seen. I've already heard people complaining about it, how hammy and over the top it is, but I don't care. I, I fucking loved it watching it in IMAX. Um, I will I will complain a little bit that I, I'm not as compelled with this story as I was with 2013. I hate to do the compare game. I, I really do. But ultimately, Evil Dead 2013 is, in my opinion, an almost perfect film. You know, I'm not going to get into that too much in this episode. So obviously, this one is going to end up taking a step down for me. Uh, I feel like the gore isn't there compared to 2013. There is gore there and lots and lots of blood despite having a gigantic amount of blood in one particular scene here, uh, Evil Dead 2013 still takes it with its raining blood. But again, um, far less wince-inducing uh, gore scenes in this one uh, than the last one. Um, the characters, you know, it, it's it's a nice, happy family. I, you know, I, I don't have any major issues with them. I, I think... Um, their motivations were fine. Their decision making was fine throughout, other than the one, you know, douchebag teenager who got a little bit too no nosy for his own good. But, you know, it's a horror movie, so you kind of need that. I understand. Um, performances were fine, specifically our performance by our lead, Alyssa Sutherland, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And what beautiful casting, because they, they found this gorgeous redhead who's a beautiful chiseled woman when she's normal, but then when she's a deadite, she's fucking terrifying. Just her smile alone gave me chills in certain scenes. Uh, there's a lot of great set pieces in this film. There's one scene that takes place completely through a peephole in a door, and I thought that scene was absolutely spectacular. Fucking loved it. Um, obviously, the aforementioned uh, you know elevator scene, which will, will definitely will be talked about for years to come. Um, the and then of course our reveal of our big bad at the end of the movie, something we've never really seen in an Evil Dead movie. We see Deadites. But rarely do we see, uh, you know, the the type of thing that we saw at the end of this movie, which obviously we'll get into in the spoiler discussion. But, uh, yeah, overall, really good time with the movie. You know, uh, cinematography score, uh, all the filmmaking aspects are fine. Like, nothing is exceptional. Um, but overall, I thought the performances were great. I thought it was decent storytelling. Uh, some good gore, if not slightly lacking compared to 2013. Um, it's a nice pace, you know, a nice, uh, what, 97 minute long movie. So it doesn't take long getting there. Um, and just overall, I had a pretty good time with it. Probably only like maybe a half step down for me from 2013. Um, but overall I, I thought it's a solid movie that potentially might be my number one for the year as of right now. It's, it's my highest rated movie of the year, obviously rewatches and everything else, at the end of the year might change that. But yeah, as of right now, uh, this might be by like a hair, my number one movie of 2023. So obviously I enjoyed it. I saw it twice this weekend in the theater, had a great time both times. So yeah, overall, great time. Thought it was pretty good. All right, kick it over to Dawn. Evil Dead Rise, what are your thoughts? All right. Um, I like this a little bit less than Venom did. Um, I still had fun with it, still really liked it. But um, for me, and this is probably just 
because I think so highly of the rest of the franchise. This is easily, I think, the worst of the series, only because the other four are undisputed 10 out of 10s for me. And this is, mm, I mean, I probably hover like around an 8, 8 to a 9. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, the other four are uh, undisputed 10 out of 10s, and I would be hard-pressed to leave all four of them out of uh, my top 50 of all time. So yeah, there's uh, there's no amount of love lost between the, me and the rest of this franchise. There are it's just great stuff, and I think that's probably where my main complaint is because I think that's the one that I want to spend the most amount of time with. Uh, even though it's not necessarily like my franchise, it's just one that I happen to enjoy. So little of this felt like an Evil Dead movie. Um, there's very little about this that feels like this sort of possession is deadites. And I, I don't know if that was something that you guys felt, but for me, this didn't need to be Evil Dead. Uh, there, this very easily could have just been... Um, and you know when they discover the Necronomicon, this very easily could have just been any old random thing that they found and substituted it out, and I wouldn't have known any any better. Um, even from the opening in the uh, cabin, uh, that that didn't feel like Evil Dead um, possession to me. Um, it, very little of what transpired felt very felt Evil Dead to me. Um, I liked what it was, but it just it tagging Evil Dead on just felt like a cash grab. And I, I don't know if it was the fact that they switched it up and they put it in a urban environment, if it was no ash, but I, I just, I didn't get the feeling that this was an Evil Dead environment. And that was kind of the big overarching thing for me when I, when we get into the later half. Everything else in this is really is okay. I, I mean, you know, the family drama at the beginning is decent. I mean, nothing we haven't seen before, but it, it, I'll allow it just, you know, enough to, you know, get us caring about the characters and, you know, figure out what's going on, but not, not necessarily, you know, like an all-time classic or anything. But overall, uh, yeah, the the fact that this just didn't feel Evil Dead to me kind of was the big overarching, you know, drawback. And it kind of soured me a little on the, you know, the second half when, you know, shit gets crazy and everything starts, you know, some great individual set pieces. I mean, you know, yeah, the elevator sequence is just absolutely jaw dropping. The encounter in the apartment complex when, you know, they encounter their mother for the first time is fantastic. And I, I mean, you know, the, the keyhole sequence is, you know, rightfully trailer fodder for obvious for, you know, the right reasons. But as a whole, just yeah, to me it just it didn't feel Evil Dead, and that I'll I'll say that as like the the main overarching point of uh, my general thoughts is that it it slapping the title on it just didn't really feel like it belonged in the universe. It just felt like it was some crazy possession or some crazy viral thing or some you know. It, to me, this could have been very easily a zombie outbreak prologue or prequel or something. And, they, you know, I, I wouldn't have had absolutely any there, – there would have been no real, uh, you know, qualms for me. Um, but, yeah, other than that, yeah, it's fun, very zippy, fast-paced, great stuff there, great brutality. Love some of the kills, uh, you know, in the second half. No, no spoilers, obviously. But, it, yeah, all, all of that stuff is fine, just uh, like I said it, – it, Placing it in this universe, maybe it's because I, you know, I have such a strong attachment and I, I enjoy the films, even though it's not one that I'm gonna 
you, you know, it's not like, you know, my personal franchise, but it's just one that I happen to enjoy all the other previous entries of just, it didn't feel like it connected into that universe, but yeah, uh, great stuff here. Top five, potentially, um, because it's a fresh cuts list, maybe it'll stay there. Um, overarching year, uh, we'll see what happens, but, uh, it'll definitely be in the top of the spot. It'll be in my top 10, but I don't know where everything falls for the rest of the year. Um, because of the, for me, I do the Fresh Cuts list. Top five, maybe, but we'll see. But, yeah, that's uh, my thoughts for now. Okay. Um, as far as I go, I probably liked... Uh, I would say I liked it maybe like a half point more than you guys. I mean, me, personally, I kind of... You know, without getting to like a comparison of 2013, I kind of put it in the same general um, rating. Uh, maybe this one's like a half point more. I was kind of lukewarm on 2013, but I'm I I kind of have a similar rating for both, just for different reasons. I felt like this one this one tried like I, I think to Don's point it well not to Don's point but something Don brought up about it didn't feel like Evil Dead. I felt like this one tried to maybe share some DNA with the Raimi movies, but it's it's very hard for someone not Raimi to do Raimi like there was like certain parts where I felt like the, this movie tried to make the uh, deadites uh a little playful but I don't know it just it didn't come off the same now generally speaking I was still happy with the movie I still thought it was a good movie I was still entertained much like 2013 neither one of them would I would I ever call like a bad movie um but I also agree with Don's uh, statement that this one could have just been its own thing. It really didn't need to be an Evil Dead movie. And I, I think I brought this up. I don't remember what other remake or sequel or whatever. We, we've done plenty of them on, on the show. But I, I, I feel like there needs to be room for like a movie like this to just be made on its own value and make a name for itself without even need to be being called like evil dead you know yes the evil dead movies exist but you can have a like some type of demon possession movie like this because a lot of people are comparing this to demons too right because of the apartment uh mm. building i think there's room for similar movies to just be made without having to like okay well if we put a necronomicon in there and uh the incantation that is going to make it an evil dead movie it's like it's just unnecessary i feel like this didn't have to be now all that stuff aside like i said i still found the movie to be enjoyable and entertaining um but and i and as of now probably it would be on my like top list somewhere just Going going by like how the year has gone overall, I, I would say this is if if I had to do a top ten list now, this is definitely going to be on it. I don't know if it'll last throughout the whole year, just depending on the strength of what's coming out. We're only at, what at the end of April, so it's way too early to even make a uh, definitive statement on that. Um, there's gore, there's blood. Uh, with that said, though, I think maybe like I, I am interested to see if there would be an unrated cut because I think some of the kills and some of like the gags, I, 
Some. Hey, I got, <laughs> well, I would say some of them it feels like they either edited them down to make them shorter awesome. or, ah. yeah, cut. Yeah, they were, I would be surprised or shocked if they weren't cut, which is, which is interesting because you remember initially this was supposed to be on what, straight to HBO Max, I think it was, and, and then they changed it to theatrical. So I'm wondering, like, if going theatrical made them cut some of the stuff that, you know, on VOD, they would have just straight up made it uncut from the beginning, which of course means like, you know, maybe a month or two from now or sooner, we're going to hear, Oh, the uncut version will be available whenever. And then we'll be rewatching it to see if that makes a difference. Um, there's also a little, like there was practicalness, but there was also CGI parts. that just kind of, I wasn't pleased with not that I, I, I really pretty much expect it to be in almost every movie now, just that's the nature of where the business is going. I still don't like it when I see it. I still think it mostly comes off as not great looking. Um, but I also just kind of accept it. It's just going to happen. Like I can't, I'm not going to rant my way out of, you know, CGI showing up in movies anymore. It's just, <laughs> that's just the, how it's going to be. Um, I actually thought the opening was pretty cool. Like I, I liked the opening and I liked the kind of like, uh, the twist, with the opening that we learn later on in the movie, uh, more on that later, maybe. Um, and because that, like, I, I felt like that part really was, was, if they're trying to connect it to like the earlier movies in the series, I thought that was kind of good. It, it was weird that they made a point to call this like a sequel. Cause it, I didn't really feel like there was a ton of connective tissue. They, they tried to throw in like a few thematic Easter eggs in there, but I, maybe more than a sequel like i would just say maybe it exists in the same universe but it doesn't really feel like a sequel um I, and we go ahead go ahead oh i was gonna say we can we can expound more on that um when we get in the spoiler section because they do kind of explain because i was kind of wondering the fact that they were calling it a sequel i was wondering like okay how are we gonna get from like the cabin setting to the city they do kind of explain, like, when they're listening to the incantation, or before they get to the incantation part, they, I guess they kind of explain the situation, why this Necronomicon is where it is, sort of. So, uh, we can get into that. Um, you know, the, the characters were fine. Um, I, I did... I did like the Deadites for the most part. I I wish I, the apartment building. I was I was good with that setting. I liked it. I just think more could have been done with it. I mean, we do get a little bit of stuff with some neighbors that are like introduced early in the movie, but outside of that, it's like well, pretty much an empty apartment building. Um, so I was hoping a little more would be done. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I did find it enjoyable. It. it as far as like where in the franchise i i still like i don't hold it up at like in, in the same regard um as the raimi movies but uh you know it's only a first watch for me so maybe you know with other more watches it'll it'll grow more on me but um i would still recommend it i would still say go see it in the theater because especially in this case because the fact that it was supposed to be streaming, well, and the, and it switched to theatrical. Now, from what I read, I think it did like twenty eight domestic and like total forty international. So that's plenty to probably justify like more uh, potential streaming VOD movies to actually go to the theater. Maybe if they have like the name recognition behind them, or you know, if they decide to make a sequel to this one, 
they would probably you know want to make it in the theater because it made money. So that's a good sign um, for future uh, entries of this or just horror in general. I mean, it seems like horror is doing good at the box office again. So that, franchise, that that's yeah, yeah, yeah franchise for sure. Um, outside of that, yeah, I mean, characters, setup, motivations, uh, all all fine. Um, I am kind of over. Well, there, there's something that a lot of modern like demon possession movies do. Like you know, we're gonna get the contorting, the sound of bones breaking. I mean, that's just like a trope that we're gonna hear in everything. Um, I, I will say like you know like the the they came out again. They felt more like just standard demon possessing dead I I felt like they tried to throw in some dialogue and a little bit of playfulness that you would find in in prior movies uh discounting 2013 because that was specifically supposed to be like a different tone i think so i'll leave that one out of the consideration but i felt like they tried to make these a little more deadites like of previous movies but i don't know not quite it, uh, it was kind of like a push and pull there um i felt like they threw in a couple lines from Evil Dead 2, for what reason, I don't know. I guess that was just Easter egg via dialogue. But, uh, yeah, overall, the needle's pointing, like, up on this one. Go see it. I I still find it's going to be enjoyable for audiences. I don't get people that are calling it a dud or, like, bad. Like, I I don't get it. Um, I I, I completely understand if, A, you like 2013 more, or if you, you know, if you don't like this as much as some of the other. That's probably understandable but to say it's like bad or just not good i i don't understand but i'll leave it at that for general thoughts for this moment yeah i can kind of see what points you're both making about you know the evil dead being kind of slapped on this because they even changed a lot of what we're familiar with i mean i don't know if you guys noticed but did you guys notice that the book's not even called the necronomicon ex mortis it's called something else it's still they still call it the book of the dead in english but they gave it a different name. Maybe it still translates to Book of the Dead just in a different language. But yeah, it was not. They did not call it the Necronomicon Ex Mortis. On top of the fact that the book itself doesn't even look remotely like yeah, the it's way too fat. Right? It's way too like long. Right? It looks more. It's not like it's like a. I, I'm trying well, to. I'm, I'm trying talking to more about it. the. Yeah, I, 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 know, but I'm I was saying, talking I, more about like the covering. Um, that's you know, what I'm the, saying. Yeah. I, yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the covering the generic looks more like, uh, yeah, the teeth. It looks more stupid. like a yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks, yeah, it it looks, looks like, like something out of Harry Potter. Potter. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a spell book almost. Yeah, it looks like a like a black magic book out of Harry Potter. Absolutely. I mean, the the fucking book had teeth for fuck's sake. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that the covering didn't look like human skin. It didn't have the stitches like you know the original Necronomicon that we all know and love, and it obviously didn't have the face on the cover. So it just, I don't you know, that, that kind of felt weird at that moment when they first showed us the book, that's when I started thinking like Don, like maybe this wasn't an evil dead movie at first. And maybe they just kind of slapped the evil dead name on it. Um, it who knows it, when, when they were flipping through the book and, uh, you know, I saw this on images think... are different. Like the famous images that we remember seeing from the original are not in well, this one. Really, I mean, was there even him... any text in the book either? 
I can't remember uh, seeing text, but uh, well, I okay. I, I will say this as a devil's advocate: he never, the kid never flips through the whole thing. So uh, to me, yeah, it could have been well. He just never gets to that section of the book because he only flips through like a few pages before she slams it shut and says, "Get it out of here." Right, right. But I mean, I, I, I yeah, distinctly remember there's one demonic picture that's near the beginning of the original Necronomicon that it always reminded me of Eddie on the cover of Iron Maiden's Killers. Or no, not Killers, the first album, Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden. Um, and it's not in this one at all. Like the images are all really nicely drawn. Like in the original Necronomicon, the images are very, they look almost like caveman paintings at times. Here, it's like a fucking Renaissance artist painted them. So... It, it, you know, it, it's a little suspension of disbelief, definitely. Um, I didn't have as much problem as either Mike or Don with, with uh, you know, these feeling like deadites. Because ultimately, if, you know, if, if a possessed human being is saying awful, awful fucking things, is taking mad amounts of damage, you know, stabs and, you know, limbs being shot off and blah, 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 blah. To me, that's a deadite. You know, I mean, I don't need them to be exactly... You know, because ultimately a Deadite in 1981 is not going to look like a Deadite in 2023, even if Sam Raimi directed this fucking... If he wrote, produced, and directed this movie, the Deadites would still look different, just, you know, at, with the passage of time. Um, so ultimately, I, I think it's... I go more by their mannerisms, and for me, the mannerisms felt very Deadite-like. You know, I mean, you know, no, no one will ever be as cool as Henrietta, but... I got to say, I really, really liked Allie a lot in this one. Like I said, her performance pretty much made the movie for me. Yeah, I thought Allie was really good. Um, Sister was good. I mean, I, I you know, honestly, the only... I don't even have really have a problem with any of the performances. I thought one or two of the neighbors were a little contrived, derivative, whatever, you know, the, the one kid who was hitting on Bridget, blah, blah, blah. Like he didn't even need to be in the movie. He was just more fodder, but whatever. Um, but ultimately the family itself was great. The two sisters, um, you know, El, all of Ellie's kids. I thought they were all awesome. Um, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, I had a real, I, I, I did. I, even though I've said a lot of negative things about the movie, I don't want it to sound like I didn't enjoy it. I, I still had a great time. I mean, I saw it twice. I generally don't go see a, a movie the second time if I hated it. Um, so obviously I went to see it a second time and had just as much fun with it the second time. So obviously I did enjoy it, but it's Evil Dead. It's a franchise. And if we're not nitpicking franchises, why the fuck are we even here? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's half of what podcasters do. So, you know, if we're going to if we get a new Nightmare movie, Friday movie, Evil Dead movie or Scream movie, we're going to go through it more meticulously than a new IP altogether. So, you know, so just realize it's our love of Evil Dead as a franchise that's maybe making us say, you know, things that can be perceived as negative for this movie. It, it, it's just more it's not hate so much as just disappointment. I was a little disappointed this movie wasn't as gory. I was a little disappointed this movie wasn't as fun. I'm a little disappointed that the storytelling wasn't as on point as previous entries. So, you know, it's more, you know, disappointment. And obviously disappointment is just your your own undue expectations. I had some pretty big expectations for this one. I am a fan of Lee Cronin. Um, his last movie, A Hole in the Ground, was like in my top three for that year. I absolutely adored that film. Um, and this movie is nothing like that movie in any way, shape or form, other than the family unit is still kind of there. But like, 
you know, uh, Don made the comment of, you know, this movie doesn't look like, uh, you know, Sam Raimi made it. It doesn't look like Lee Cronin made it either. So I'm, I'm not sure what they were going for. I mean, to me, it felt very, very similar to Fetty Alvarez's, you know, 2013 entry, but obviously lacking in many aspects, um, you know, comparatively. But I still thought Lee did a great job. He wrote and directed this one. So, you know, I'll give him credit for at least writing a compelling, a mildly compelling story with, you know, some good organic characters that, you know, we actually get behind. Like, you know, there's, there's characters that you don't want to see die in this movie. And that, in my personal opinion, that makes a great horror movie when you actually want to see people survive. And, you know, then they don't. And it's sad. So, yeah, that's effective to me. So this was ultimately an effective film that I had a really good time with. But obviously, if we play the compare game, you know, it's going to go down a little bit, obviously. So that's it. Oh, what else can we talk about non-spoiler? Uh... Oh, I, I got something to say. Um, I heard I listened to a conservative movie critic review this huh. movie and, and give it a terrible score. Like he gave it like a one out of ten, said it's the worst horror movie he's seen in years. And why, my friends? Because he called it a woke horror film. He claims, and he could be correct for all I know, but he claims that the filmmakers intended for both Bridget and her brother to be gay. And I, I don't agree with him. There, there's little things that happen in the movie, but I, I mean, he's going with broad stereotypes. Obviously, Bridget is a tomboy. She dresses like a boy. She has short hair. She doesn't wear a lot of makeup. So, you know, obviously people are going to make assumptions about that. And then when you see the brother, um, what was his name? Danny. When, once we see Danny, he's dressed up in bright colors. He's a DJ. He's hopping around to club music, rave music. So, you know, obviously people are making some major undue um, accusations toward this movie. I, I instantly turned off the, the review. I didn't even give him the, the benefit of finishing the review because – that's a, people can't just fucking enjoy movies anymore. They got to pick out every little thing that they don't like about it and then bitch about it and say and act like it's an attack against them. Even if Bridget was a lesbian in the film, who gives a fuck? It's not an attack on you, you fucking conservative douchebag. I wish I knew his name because I would fucking call him out by name on this show. But I, like I said, I didn't finish the review. But yeah, holy shit. Did you see that well, review, Mike? I heard you chuckle. <laughs> No, but just when you said it, because uh, I actually was talking, who the hell was I talking to? Maybe it was Lacey, and she mentioned, I don't know if she's referring to the same review, but she mentioned that, like, so, someone on social media said the same thing. And I was like, well, the problem with that criticism, at least in this movie, is even even if the character was, it it, it had zero impact on the story. Like, I oh, like it's not like it's centered around like there was really no backstory for any of them except the two, you know, the sisters. The obviously the one that was raising the siblings, um, and then the one that you know took off to have the rock career and ended up you know. I'll stop there just for spoilers, but I mean, their characters were the centerpiece, but nothing, nothing about anyone's sexuality really shined through in the story oh. itself or was important to the plot. So like, who cares? I don't understand. Exactly. It's just people looking for stuff to complain about. 
like like conservatives talk about woke culture. Ultimately, they are the woke culture. They're the ones who are always nitpicking every little aspect of every type of media out there, be it, you know, TV, movies, music, art. They're going to they're going to find one little thing, like I said, that they don't like and just harp on that consistently. Um because I, I just don't see how somebody watches this movie and objectively calls it a bad film. You know, overall, it's not poorly written. It's not poorly shot. There's very little to complain about as far as what was in the film. We can complain about what wasn't in the film, things that we wanted to see more of. But ultimately, I didn't like I didn't cringe at any line deliveries. I didn't wince at any, you know, poor acting and that's that's a plus because I, I I tend to do that in ninety percent of the horror movies I watch. There'll be a bad line delivery here. There'll be just a bad reaction or a bad decision made here. Blah blah blah. And ultimately, I can't I can't use that criticism for this movie. So, yeah, if you're gonna say this movie is garbage, uh, I'm gonna say you're garbage. <laughs> I'm making all sorts of friends today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I it, it's just a weird criticism. Like, so now, like, any characters that are different occupying space in a movie, it, that alone makes it woke? Yep. I mean... <laughs> that's it. And, and, and that's even, like... I... And not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I have a problem with you saying a movie's bad because it's woke anyway... Now, a movie can be bad and be woke. Like, it can be woke and bad is what I'm saying. But what you consider woke, does to me, that wouldn't make a movie bad on its own. Um, but, yeah, I don't want to go too far down that. But, yeah, it just for, it, in the context of this specific movie, it, I don't know. That's a weird criticism to me. I didn't even think twice. Like, I, I didn't even no, think about that. No, it never even occurred during, to me. Yeah. I thought Bridget was adorable. I'm looking at her like she's going to grow up to be a pretty good-looking girl. And, like, there's that one scene in the movie where the kid comes to ask her to go watch Nightmare on Elm Street movies with her. And when she says no and she looks through the peephole, she smiles. That's not a smile of, ha-ha, I'm a lesbian, you're never going to get me. No, that was a sly smile of, oh, he, he's kind of cute. Maybe I'll give him a chance later on, just not today. So where he got les- – like I said, he's just looking at stereotypes, gender stereotypes, and going with it. Especially with the boy. It's like the boy did nothing even remotely gay in the movie. I mean, to my knowledge, most DJs aren't gay. And, you know, most guys I know that uh, take part in rave culture also are not gay. So, yeah, a weird criticism, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another complaint that people are having, and I can't really get into this one too much, um, I'll be able to finish my argument during the spoiler section, but I've heard multiple reviews where people hate the bookends, hate the bookend scenes, the cold open and the finale and not the finale, but the epitaph, I guess you could say. Um, And I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, if anything that gives it (laughs) some connection to the evil dead, which I'm okay with, but I also have a reason why the end scene is important for the franchise too and obviously i can't get into that here but i'll have i'll I'll talk about that after our walkthrough but yeah i love the fucking wraparound i thought it was great (laughs) it's quick too it's not like they make you spend too much time with these characters it's like in out done awesome (laughs) yeah i i was cool with the cold opening and how it wrapped up later 
in the movie. I thought it was done pretty concisely and it, it makes sense. It doesn't break the flow of the movie at all. Um, and and it's kind of just a cool little way to end, end it. Like, you know, we've had like the big kind of finale scene with the conclusion and, uh, it kind of makes sense. Cause like if, you know, there's going to be an aftermath to, you know, it's not like everything took place in a remote cabin in the other movies where once it's over, it's over. It's like, this is a apartment complex where, yeah, other people are going to come across this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense. Like, okay, what happens? Yeah. When someone comes walking out of their apartment to get in their car and they're like, what the hell just happened here? And this so happens to tie things in, in a way that I thought it was, kind of creative you know it's not it's not like the first thing to do we've seen other movies tie things in but i still thought it was a nice touch for this absolutely definitely probably the aspects of the uh uh, of the movie that feel the most like evil dead you know it takes place in a cabin in the woods by the way how cool was that cabin i thought that that cabin looked like something out of midsommar i thought that was cool as shit i'm wondering if they're setting up that cabin for a future movie well, I was going to say that, that would be my guess. The cabin yeah. is like the disp- the dispension dispension of the curse into the world. People who exactly. go there end up affected by it, and then it, that's how it travels. Well, and the, the I, other I, thing the other thing I like about it is if you watch the trailer, which Venom, I know you don't. I don't know if you happen to accidentally see the trailer for this one, but the I way it since I saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. So the way the tra- uh, the way the trailer kind of uses the cabin, it almost gives you a different idea of like how it might be. Uh, 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 what am I looking for? Like in, infused into the movie. But then when you actually watch the movie, you're like, oh, okay. Like now, because the that when I saw the trailer, the first thing I was thinking of was like, well, if we're starting at the cabin, how like how do we even get to the high rise apartment in a metropolitan city? But then yeah. when you watch the movie, it 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 does a good job to where like the tr- by by having that cabin in the trailer, it doesn't really spoil anything that you maybe potentially thought it might, but it really doesn't because of the way the movie uh, handles it. So I thought that was like a good job. Yeah, had I seen the trailer before the movie, I would have assumed this movie was going to be like uh, Jason Takes Manhattan where the majority of it is going to take place in the woods, in the cabin, but then like the last 20 minutes would take place like in a big city apartment building or something. So I'm glad they subverted that. I agree. Totally. Yep. All right, folks. Um, I think that is going to be your spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go through the walkthrough. should be fairly quick. Um, you know, like I said, it's 97 minute movie. It's, it's pretty, quick uh you know just some major set pieces to discuss here and there but let's get into it here we go okay so our open our our movie opens with a scene of uh, a girl sitting at a um like a a pier at a lake um obviously they're in the woods and uh there's a guy there who's not her boyfriend it's her friend's boyfriend who's you know kind of fucking with her because he's bored because uh, we find out that the girl is sick and that she's been sick since they got to the cabin the day before. Uh, he gave her, I forget exactly a clonopin. I think he gave her and to, to help her sleep and she's basically out cold. So, um, at this point, our third wheel, let's call her cause I forget her name. Actually, her name's Teresa actually. So at this point, Teresa, the third wheel goes into the cabin to see if her friend Jessica is okay. 
And then basically as soon as Jessica, or excuse me, as soon as um, Teresa starts talking to her, realizes that she's out cold and she's not really responding, she goes back down and starts reading her book. And then this is where we get kind of probably the second thing that reminds us of Evil Dead, because our movie actually opens with, you know, the force going through the woods. I mean, it looked very, it's probably the most rainy looking thing in this movie, ultimately. Um, so as our girl, as our friend Teresa, our third wheel is reading her book, uh, they repeat the gag of the original movie where I think it was Linda was calling out the flashcards without actually seeing them. Uh, in this case, though, Jessica is reading from the book. She's not facing the girl. She, uh, she's got her back to Teresa, sitting in the bed Indian style, and she's basically reading the book out loud, word for word, to Teresa. Um, and she's reading Withering Heights, uh, Weathering Heights uh, um, for those who don't know. And uh, Teresa gets freaked out, closes the book, and you know, is wondering, you know, what the hell's going on with Jessica. She go, she tries to walk up to her to talk to her. Jessica passes out, falls on the floor, uh, puking up, you know, white foamy shit. And uh, Teresa bends over to try to help her out. And then she just kind of goes limp. Uh, she, you know, goes still almost like she died. Teresa starts to panic, but then she goes down for a hug to hug her friend. And then this is when Jessica wakes up with the eyes that we all know and love from Evil Dead 2013. Um, that she's very obviously, you know, in possession of a deadite inside of her. And this uh, this is probably my favorite fucking gore in the movie. You can't even call it a kill because technically we don't see the character die. Uh, but Jessica basically scalps Teresa, pull her, uh, Teresa's hair is up in a ponytail. She pulls her ponytail completely off the top of her head and she's totally scalped. Uh, it just came out of nowhere because there was no setup for it. It just bam scalping. So I thought it was everybody in the theater reacted, you know, it was a pretty cool moment to watch in the theater after that. Uh, she goes out. Um, Teresa runs away from the cabin, meets back up with Jessica's boyfriend. Uh, Jessica's boyfriend sees that she is scalped. And then Jessica comes out, grabs the drone um, that her boyfriend is playing with, grabs the drone and jams it into her face so that the blades basically cut up her face a little bit. Uh, by the way, folks, I own a couple of those drones. They would never, ever cut someone's face open that much. But again, it's a movie, so suspension of disbelief. And at that moment, uh, Jessica, after cutting up her face, she falls into the lake. Uh, her boyfriend dives in to get her. Uh, something pulls him down. Big red puddle in the in the lake starts to form. And then Jessica slowly starts to rise in the Jesus Christ pose, no less, starts to rise out of the water. And then at that moment, we get the title card, Evil Dead Rise, in the background behind the mountains with Jessica floating in the foreground above the lake. I'm sorry, that fucking image was awesome. I fucking loved it. I understand why people might hate it. It's over the top, it's hammy, blah, blah, blah. But for whatever it's worth, I thought it was one of the coolest title cards I've ever seen. I had zero issues. I thought it was cool and the way the music hits. Like, I was all yes. for it. I don't I don't understand the criticism there. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Um, <clears throat> so that's the end of our cold open. We are now uh, transported to... Um, a uh, like a music club um, somewhere out on the road. We're introduced to 
uh, what's her name? Not Ellie. Beth. We're introduced to Beth. She is. Uh, she's obviously she's soldering cables and shit. So she's obviously a, a technician, like a guitar tech or whatever <clears throat> for a touring band. She obviously does more than tech because you know in in the one scene where we're with her, somebody comes up to her and asks her like a question, like she knows where everything is and what everything you know that needs to be done. Blah blah blah. While this is happening, she is on the toilet taking a pregnancy test and discovers that she is indeed pregnant. After this, uh, after this scene, we are then transported to whatever big city it is that this movie is in. I'm going to assume it's Los Angeles because eventually there is an earthquake in the movie and there's not too many metropolises that I know that have earthquakes. So uh, let's just assume it's L.A., even though they never actually say specifically. Um so, yeah, we're introduced to Ellie and her three kids. Ellie is a tall, statuesque redhead. You've seen her in the trailer. You know, beautiful lady. Uh, she has an older daughter named uh, Bridget. Everybody calls her Bridge in the movie. Uh, she has a teenage son named Danny, who very obviously wants to be a DJ someday. And her youngest daughter uh, named Cassie. Uh, she's, you know, probably like five or six years old, little girl. Um, so, you know, we're introduced to all three of them. At one point, um, the sister, uh, Beth, shows up unexpectedly to Ellie's apartment. Um, she's on a visit, basically just, you know, um, visiting because, you know, she's got a break from the tour, whatever the case may be. And that's when she gets the bad news that Ellie and her husband have already split up. They actually split up a couple of months ago. Um, they have a little they have a little heated exchange because Ellie did call Teresa, but apparently uh, not Teresa. I'm sorry. Ellie called her sister Beth. But Beth, because she's so busy and constantly on the road, I guess she missed the messages and she felt terrible because, you know, Ellie obviously needed her going through a divorce or separation, or whatever. And she has to do it by herself. So, you know, there's a little bit of friction there between the sisters. At one point, uh, just as they're about to get into that conversation, Ellie sends the kids out to get pizza. They run out and get pizza. Man, there's only like four people in that apartment, and they come back with like three extra large pizzas. So th that fucking family loves pizza. God damn. Um, but when they return with the pizza, there is a major earthquake, a pretty nasty one. I've lived through a bunch of nasty L.A. earthquakes, and this one looked pretty bad because... Uh, the apartment building that they were in took structural damage. There's cracks in the in the uh, base, you know, uh, of the building. There's, you know, broken stairs, broken, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. I mean, the building is old and dilapidated as it is. Uh, there, there's a quick line in the movie that Ellie says the building's getting, you know, demolished in a month and she has to move out. So obviously the building's already decrepit, but then the earthquake, the earthquake fucks it up even more. After the earthquake, Danny finds a hole that was created um, on the ground in the parking garage. So basically the parking garage at the lower level of the apartment building, there is a new hole because of the earthquake. And when he shines a light down there, he sees an old bank vault. And I think we all know where we're going from here. Uh, Danny uh, is is basically being yelled at by his sister. Don't go down there. I, I'm thinking to myself, this kid's never seen a horror movie because this is like how most horror movies start. It just going into a fucking hole to explore Lord knows what. He ends up going down there. Um, obviously, he can't get the bank vault open, but there are like boxes and crates, um, you know, um, documents and shit like that that are being stored. 
he ends up pulling out this one box. Of course, it's the first box he pulls out. <laughs> it's a movie. And opens it up. He finds um, letters and he finds um, pictures of priests holding the Necronomicon, or at least this movie's version of the Necronomicon. And he continues looking in the box and he finds these old vinyl records. Um, and I mean, these records have to be old as shit. I'm, vinyl doesn't usually survive that long. So how the hell these records still exist is beyond me. Um, but he, he finds, I believe, a total of four uh, album length LPs. Uh, he grabs those. He puts them in his book bag. And then he continues searching around and he finds what looks like a crypt. Uh, almost like somebody's buried in there, kind of like Lenin's tomb or something where their body is like above the ground, but in a cement block, almost like a pharaoh, let's say. Um, and at the base of this, um, you know, concrete co uh, construction, there is a new crack that was created, of course, by the earthquake. And we hear voices coming out of the crack. Uh, we get that we get a cool shot where the camera is kind of inside the box looking out through the crack at Danny. And we see that there's something wrapped in cloth in there. He goes again. He goes ahead and pulls it out and takes it back upstairs. At this point, um, you know, everybody's reunited because um, Ellie was worried about her kids not coming back after the earthquake, which, you know, like I said, it was a pretty nasty earthquake. But the kids are back and every, everything seems normal. At this point, Ellie decides to go do a load of laundry. And while she's doing a load of laundry, Danny decides to listen to the vinyl records. He opens the book. You know, we see the covering. Doesn't look exactly like what we're used to, but we can still tell that it is human flesh. And when he opens it, you know, all the images and writing in the book are red, uh, maybe not the deep blood red that we're used to, but it's kind of like a, a faded shade of red, if you will. And he starts playing the vinyl. He realizes that the vinyl was recorded at a faster speed than his record player will play. So he actually has to manually spin the record. Um, I thought he was spinning it backwards at first, but he's not. He's actually spinning it forward. And I've seen people do that because sometimes if uh, a, a vinyl was recorded at a faster speed than the record player can handle, you have to kind of speed it up somehow. So he's doing it by hand. And then we hear pretty much exactly what you expect to hear. We hear like a, a scholar talking about the book, of, probably a, theolo a theologian. Um, talking about the Book of the Dead, talking about the powers that it potentially has, blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets to the second vinyl, um, that's where, where the voice on the record starts reading passages out of the book. And, of course, we get our first word, kanda, <laughs> the fucking first word that we, we all know the first word. And as yeah. soon as he <laughs> says that first word on the vinyl... There it is. We get, you know, that invisible force, you know, roaming through the city, going through the streets, going up into the building and then up to. Um, but it, it doesn't end up going all the way up. It stops at the laundry room where Ellie is in, not at the laundry room, but at the elevator at the laundry room. So Ellie finishes putting her load in. She goes into the elevator and then suddenly she realizes that there's something there with her, a, a force of some kind. Like she just feels like she's being watched. Eventually, some invisible force like pushes her hair aside, slaps her, grabs her, things like that, actually holds her up in midair. 
eventually the elevator starts going up at a very fast pace. I mean, you would almost think that the cable snapped and the elevator's falling, but it's going up. And, you know, Ellie is obviously pinned to the ceiling, which doesn't make physical sense. She should be pinned to the floor. But again, it's Evil Dead, so I'll allow it. Um, it's like I said, she's pinned to the ceiling as the elevator's going up. Finally, it gets up to her floor and the elevator just kind of opens up and she kind of falls out of it. Or, I mean, she's passed out in the elevator. She eventually comes to. And that's when you kind of realize that this isn't Ellie anymore. Once she comes to in the elevator, she starts walking towards her apartment, you know, uh, with a weird limp, something that she very obviously didn't have before. Um, and instant and and the movie pretty much takes off from there we get that first scene where mom returns to the uh, apartment um she kind of slips into the kitchen you know without saying anything to anyone but they all notice her come in in the darkness they go into the kitchen and then we get the scene with the eggs where she grabs a frying pan puts it on fire starts throwing whole eggs shell and all into the pan grabs a spatula, starts kind of moving it around. And that's when she starts talking really cryptically about, oh, man, um, I, I think one of the first awful things she said is, I've always dreamed of cutting you all open and climbing inside of you so that we can be a family. Remember that, because that line is foreshadowing for our final, for our finale. Um, and, yeah, everybody in the family, all three kids plus the sister Beth are standing there like, what the fuck is going on? eventually she does attempt to attack people, you know, uh, members of her family with, you know, knives or, or just kind of chasing them down. Uh, we end up in the bathroom where she, um, she, after she basically has her first like uh, attack of deadite if you will, <laughs> uh, the family goes and um, th they try to help her out, but then she ends up keeling over dead. She literally dies, heart stops and, you know, obviously the family is effective. Uh, you know, we've got three fucking little kids here who just lost their only parent because dad is out of the picture. Um, so obviously everybody's down. At one point, Beth goes into the to Ellie's bedroom where her dead body is on the bed. And of course, inevitably, Ellie opens up her eyes and they are not her eyes anymore. Of course, they are the fucking dead eye eyes. And. Again, we, we, we have another back and forth where, you know, Ellie is attacking people. She ends up attacking her daughter, Bridget, with a tattoo gun. I forgot to mention Ellie is a tattoo artist, which I actually like. Uh, for those who don't know me very well, I am a huge tattoo enthusiast. I don't usually go more than a couple of years without getting a new tattoo. I just recently got one last month, but that's a story for another show. Um so the fact that Ellie is a tattoo artist working out of her home, I actually thought, hey, this is pretty cool. We don't actually see her tattooing anybody, but at one point we do see her putting her tattoo machine together. Uh, some people call it a tattoo gun, but artists don't like when you call it a tattoo gun. It's a tattoo machine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, you know, th th just a little tidbit that really means it has no bearing on the movie. But, you know, it, it spoke to me because I'm so into tattoos, so. Well, plus, um, as soon as as soon as that story element's introduced, you're like, okay, that's coming into play later, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, somebody's Maybe getting that. tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and as it turns out, it is Bridget. Uh, basically, Ellie attacks Bridget, goes after her, tries to swipe at her um, unsuccessfully, but then at one point she pins Bridget down to the floor and grabs her tattoo gun. She grabs her tattoo gun, sticks it in her own fucking temple. 
to, to fill it with blood. Like, you know, you have to dip uh, the tattoo machine into the cap of ink, blah, blah, blah. She dip, she fucking puts it into her own temple. And then she just goes and draws a single line on uh, Bridget's forehead before she's finally um, attacked by somebody else in the family and they get her off of it. Um, the inevitable does happen. We see the cool effect where, you know, you get the crackled uh, black lines appearing uh, from the line from the tattoo. And yes, Bridget is our next deadite. She basically, uh, you know, has the same eyes and goes into the kitchen. Um, the people in this family, once they get possessed, they really like the kitchen because it seems to be the first place that they all go after they get possessed. Um, she's in the kitchen. Beth finds her in there. Um, obviously, she ends up attacking Beth. Um, uh, Beth ends up defending herself somehow. Oh, right. Uh, earlier in the movie, we see Cassie, the youngest daughter, making a staff out of a doll. She basically cuts the head off a doll. And that's our first introduction to Cassie, too, is we see her cutting the head off a doll with fucking shears. And I'm like, damn, already. Um, she ends up taking the doll head, putting it on. She, she takes the broom like a mop handle. She unscrews the mop part, takes the handle, puts the doll's head on the top of it, and she calls it Stephanie, which... I lost it the first time I, I heard that. I'm like, holy shit, Stephanie, that's fucking brilliant. And the reason she made Stephanie is because she's scared and she's going to basically defend herself with Stephanie. Um, and then at one point in the film, uh, they get into a little bit of a playful wrestling match before all the shit hits the fan. And they end up breaking the handle of the broom, uh, leaving a sharp point. Haha, -ha, I wonder what's going to happen with that. And what ends up happening with that is when Bridget has already turned and she goes to attack Cassie, instead of Cassie jabbing at her with the doll head end, she accidentally sticks out the pointed end and it goes right into Bridget's mouth, right through the back of her fucking head. Um, just a beautiful little scene. Um, Bridget doesn't fall down. She's literally just standing there making the choking sounds because there's a fucking broom handle in her throat that's going through her head. And then she finally does pull it out slowly. She says something cryptic. I forget specifically what. And then she falls over, looking like she's dead, of course. But anybody who's seen an Evil Dead movie kind of knows what the hell's going on there. You know, they're playing possum. Uh, but the brother, Danny, is smart enough to take Bridget's body, wrap it in, a, in like plastic, like a tarp, and then tie it up with bungee cord. Um, which I thought was probably one of the most brilliant moves in the movie. Like, he's thinking ahead. I like that. Um, it, sadly, it didn't matter because <laughs> Bridget was able to get out of her constraints, no problem. As soon as she woke up, she just got up. And then we get, we get a couple of cool scenes where she's actually stalking her brother and sister, and she still has the tarp over her head. And she's just walking around the house, almost like she's pretending to be a ghost on Halloween. But the brother and sister don't notice her. She's quietly just kind of walking behind them. I just th I thought it was a couple of cool shots there during that sequence. Um, let's see, where are we? So eventually uh, Bridget does end up attacking again. At this point, they're able to get uh, mom out of the apartment like she ends up going out into the hall and they lock the door behind her and then after that this is where we get that great um, peephole sequence through the door where basically mom is out there um, you know they've already barricaded the door because you know mom's already attacked them twice at this point 
And then she starts singing um, very sweetly, you know, like everything is normal. You know, again, a trope that we've seen in the Evil Dead many times. They try to act human, try to get the sympathy card up. And she, it, it actually works in this case only because she's dealing with a five-year-old girl because pretty much anybody else with half a brain would know just by looking at her that she's still fucked up and that she's just pretending. But of course the little girl wants her mom to be well. Um, Ellie lies and said, Oh, daddy's out here with us. You know, he came back. We're going to get back together, which of course makes Ellie happy. She opens the door. Mom ends up attacking again. And, you know, uh, they end up barricading the door a second time. And this time uh, we see uh, Ellie and Danny kind of, not Ellie, excuse me, Cassie and Danny kind of taking turns looking out of the peephole. This is where we get this great sequence where all the neighbors that we met earlier in the film start coming out one by one. And Ellie is out there locked out of her apartment in the hall and she just goes fucking ballistic. Sadly, we don't get to see most of it. Because all we see is the keyhole. Like, we never see the camera view outside in the hall. We're just seeing the keyhole. And we see people kind of get thrown by every now and again. The young kid who invited Bridget earlier to watch Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um, you know, we see him get kind of thrown, thrown across the hall. Uh, we see the older gentleman come out of his apartment with his shotgun and take a shot at Ellie. Eventually, he's taken out, you know, from underneath. And Ellie basically just takes out everybody in the hall. They decide, uh, we, you know, we need, to, we need to try to get the fuck out of this apartment. This is when Beth and um, Cassie and Danny realize that the elevator is not working and the stairs that go downstairs have been completely destroyed. They're gone. It's like stairs weren't there. The, the earthquake just took those stairs out. So, you know. Uh, just like in 2013, they give us a reason why these people are stuck in this situation. Seems valid. I'll accept it. It's not nearly as good as 2013, but I'll take it. Um, so they're stuck up there, not able to get out. Uh, let's see. Where do we go from here? Um, hmm. Oh, the hallway. Okay. So uh, finally, uh, Bridget ends up attacking Danny and she does end up successfully killing Danny. This is another reason why the movie is a half step down for me from 2013. If you guys remember in 2013, the, the character that actually found the book and read out of it, he gets fucking destroyed. He takes more damage than anybody else in the movie. And I loved it. I thought it was so poignant that the guy who started all this shit gets fucked up the most. He literally uh, survives the longest with all his injuries, shot with a nail gun, hand broken in half, just, oh my God, so much damage that poor guy went to. But then in this movie, the kid who's responsible for starting everything, he kind of goes out with a whimper. Basically, um, Bridget just kind of stabs him in the heart. As he falls to the floor, he looks over to his little sister, Cassie, who's hiding under the couch and says, I'm sorry, Cassie, because obviously at this point, the kid realizes I did all this. I fucked up. I should have listened to Bridget when she told me to get the fuck out of there and not steal shit that doesn't belong to me, blah, 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 blah. So at this point, there's nothing left but Deadites and um, Brid uh, who Beth and Cassie. They decide, okay, there's a fire escape through one of the apartments in this floor, but, but, the, but the apartment is uninhabited. It's empty, and the door is locked, so they have to kind of get into that door so they can try to use the fire escape. 
while they're in the hall trying to use the fire escape, that's when the shit hits the fan. All the dead bodies in the hallway that Ellie took out start to wake up. We get the great, you know, uh, dead by dawn, swallow your soul type scenes where they're all chanting, you know, dead by dawn, dead by dawn or swallow your soul. I forget mm-hmm. which one it was, but yeah, they, they I, all, you I know, they say again, both, yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, the DNA of uh, Evil Dead is there, at least in mild forms. And Ellie ends up coming out in the hallway to join all her new little deadite buddies. And she goes to attack Beth, who still hasn't gotten through that door, that locked door to get into that apartment so that they can get to the fire escape. Um, but she does have the old guy's shotgun in her hand. So eventually what she decides is, OK, I'm going to shoot through this door. But right before she goes to shoot through the door, that's when Ellie shows up and all the bodies get up. And she ends up shooting Ellie and blowing off uh, one of her legs, just gone, just blown right off. And mind you, this is after hearing multiple passages from the vinyl talking about, you know, you need to destroy the body, total dismemberment, burning, you know, whatever you can do, live burial, blah, 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 blah. But that, you know, there's basically nothing you can do. Once someone's a deadite, they're a deadite, at least in this movie. So, um, and then, and then Ellie picks up like a knife that she found in the hall and she goes to try to continue a one-legged attack against Beth and Beth, uh, shot, uh, shoots another, um, shotgun blast towards Ellie, this time blowing off her hand. So now Ellie is basically... Uh, with one hand and one leg lying on the ground and she starts speaking cryptically again and talking about family and togetherness and how, you know, please don't take me away from my family. Like she's actually with a missing arm and leg, she's begging Beth, don't take away my family, blah, blah, blah. And then if you, if you were paying very close attention and you looked at the images in the Necronomicon closely, all the events of the movie are portrayed in the book all the way up to this part, which is probably the weirdest scene in the movie where basically all the deadites that Ellie or all the people that Ellie killed and became deadites, they start tearing Ellie's body apart and she's laying on the ground laughing, you know, to her maniacal deadite laugh, just laughing while literally her son, her daughter, her neighbors are all just tearing bits of her body off of her. And then the scene cuts. Uh, We end up seeing Ellie and um, Cassie. They end up giving up on the door because they've, you know, they blasted both of the shots they had in the shotgun. And, you know, they're they're seeing what's happening with everybody basically pulling Ellie apart. They end up uh, jumping in the elevator to try to use it, thinking maybe they could figure out what was wrong with it. As it turns out, there was a set of keys. Ellie's keys were actually in the door jam of the elevator. That's why the doors kept closing and then reopening. Um, So everybody just assumed the elevator was defective, but no one decided to look down to see that there was keys on the fucking floor. Cassie, of all people, our five-year-old, is the one who notices the keys there. She pulls the keys away from the door. The door finally does successfully close. Unfortunately, as soon as the door closes, 
the elevator starts filling up with blood. Uh, it's coming out of the walls. It's coming up from the floor. It's coming down from the ceiling. There's just the, the entire elevator car is being filled with blood. At one point, Beth tries to go out the escape hatch, but when she opens it, just a bunch of arms come out, uh, you know, grabbing at her, trying literally just arms. We don't see any faces or nothing. Um, Eventually, the elevator car fills up completely with blood. So, of course, you know, we're thinking Beth and Cassie are goners. But at that moment, uh, the elevator cable um, snaps and the elevator car falls all the way down to the first floor. And when it falls, the doors crash open and it's just a fucking sea of blood. It's it. it imagine the shining, but from inside the elevator car. <laughs> That's basically what we get here. Just a shitload of blood. At this point, Kathy and Ellie are covered in blood head to toe for the rest of the movie. There's just nothing you can avoid. Nothing you could do to avoid being bloody at this point. Uh, they end up escaping to the parking lot um, with, with the keys that they found in the elevator. Um, they figure out which car the keys belong to. They get in the car. They go up to the garage door and they're sitting there hitting the clicker. Um, the garage door remote isn't working correctly. They're clicking it, clicking it, clicking it. Finally, it does uh, turn green and the door slowly starts to open. But then at that exact moment, Beth looks into her rearview mirror, sees that there's something coming towards the car. So then she sticks her head out of the door, out of the window and looks and gets a direct shot of what, what the only thing I can describe it as is a Lovecraftian nightmare. Basically, all of the deadites that Ellie killed, including Ellie herself, have amalgamated into one creature that's just a mass of flesh uh, with a bunch <laughs> yeah. of arms. It's big. Think, like, I don't even see any legs. Just think of the giant critter ball from Critters too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. Much more menacing though, because it's talking to you. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and and this one has like extended limbs coming out, so it's a little more freakish yeah, yeah. looking. Yeah, like I said, it's just absolute Lovecraftian monster, you know, an elder god of some kind. But yeah, uh, this thing basically starts chasing Beth and Cassie through the uh, parking lot. At one point, the garage door starts to close and Ellie and or excuse, yeah, Beth and Cassie start to make a run for the door to try to get there before it closes. They're both able to scoot, scooch under the door right before it closes. But unfortunately, the the Ellie Lovecraft monster pulls uh, grabs Cassie's leg and pulls her back into the garage. Uh, the garage door fully closes and Beth is trapped outside of it while Ellie is being dragged into like a, like a van or something in, in the garage. Uh, Beth ends up breaking down one of the barriers, like not the actual door, but next to the door, there's like a chain link area there. She ends up kicking that down, getting back into, um, getting back into the parking lot, uh, getting into the car, getting into the van that, um, Kathy is trapped in, and this is when we get our first great shot of the creature in all its glory, you know, lights on, and it's, it's exactly that. We can see Ellie's kind of torso is the main part of it. Um, her kids are on her left and right attached to her. Think of Color Out of Space, too. That's another one that you could think of, where the mother and son kind of melded together in that movie. 
Um, and then, like I said, you just see bits and pieces of all the other bodies that kind of combine to create this fucking nightmare. Uh, like I said, it walks around on all hands. There's no legs sticking out of the creature. I don't know what they did with their legs, but whatever. Uh, they figured walking on hands is scarier, I guess. Um, they, um, and then for some reason, conveniently, you know, th- this is kind of movie convenience to the um- utmost degree. There just happens to be a wood chipper in this parking garage. Um, why is there a wood chipper there? Probably because they're going to demolish the place in a, in a month. But, you know, your guess is still as good as mine. And uh, basically the, the Ellie monster grabs Beth, turns on the wood chipper and then tries to jam her body in there. Luckily, Cassie's still there and she's just strong enough to hit the switch to turn the, uh, the thing off. And at that exact moment, you know, the the Ellie monster sees that Cassie's there. She kind of slaps her with one of her tentacle arm things. And um, but at that moment, Beth uh, goes back, reaches for a chainsaw that just uh, again, a chainsaw that just happened to be in this building. Uh, But it's an Evil Dead movie, so you have to have a chainsaw, right? Uh, basically, uh, the creature, the Ellie monster is on top of the wood chipper. Beth is standing in front of it on the ground. Uh, she's basically looking at Cassie and kind of giving her eyes to kind of get ready, you know, prepare. And then when the Ellie monster kind of starts to come forward and goes near the front of the wood chipper, she yells to Cassie to turn it on. Cassie turns it on. And at that moment, she takes the chainsaw and just jams it right into the middle of the Ellie monster, just grinding the fuck out of it. Pieces of Ellie start going into the wood chipper. You get the great effect of all the blood and tissue just getting sprayed all over the parking garage. Eventually, all that's left is Ellie's head, but she's still there talking like the severed head is just there still calling uh, Beth uh, a groupie slut. Uh, Like kind of like I mean, she called Beth a groupie throughout the entire movie, which obviously pissed off Beth because she's not a groupie. She's a guitar technician. Um, a lead tech, uh, I believe. And she was up for chief tech, if I remember correctly, in the movie. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, the head is there, still calling Beth a slut, a whore, whatever else. Beth takes the chainsaw, triumphantly holds it above her head, and just slams it down onto the severed head of Ellie, and eventually just kicks it into into the wood chipper, and that's it. The, the, the monster's all gone. It's all ground up and everybody, you know, everybody seems to be somewhat content. Beth and Ellie end up uh, leaving the garage on their own accord. And you think the movie ends, the movie fades to black and it ends. But then what ends up happening is uh, we see a blonde girl walking into that same parking garage. She obviously, I think she lives on the fifth floor. Uh, They actually showed her getting into the stairs and she lives on the fifth floor of the building, whereas Ellie and her family were up on the eighth floor. She ends up just taking the stairs to go down to the garage because the elevator is obviously broken. Uh, When she gets, when she first gets to the garage, she's completely oblivious uh, to what's going on around her. All the blood and tissue and, you know, the wood chipper covered in blood, cars covered in blood. She's completely oblivious to it. She gets into her car and just before she gets into her car, she calls Teresa, the, the third wheel from our cold open. 
Uh, so this is where we find out that this is Jessica. This is the girl from the title card in the cold open who is mm-hmm. our first deadite of the film. She obviously she's in the car literally about to leave to go on her weekend out in the woods. And she looks in her rearview mirror and that's when she notices all the blood and sinew and everything else that's strewn all over the fucking uh, parking garage. She ends up getting out of the car, looking around, you know, with a disgusted look on her face. And then we see the force, uh, you know, the, the, the first person shot of the force going through um, the parking garage and going into Jessica and bam. Fade to Black, and that is Evil Dead 2023. Now, the reason I fucking love the wraparound is because it gives us an explanation of how the, the, the Kandarian demon gets back in the woods. Think about it. If this movie would have ended with the demon still in the city, and then the next Evil Dead movie is set in the woods again, it, it would piss everybody off. Like, you know, why would a Kandarian demon ever leave the city? It's like a fucking buffet. They they literally have food for a millennia. But, you know, so if they don't explain uh, the demon being sent back to the woods inside of Jessica, I feel like it would piss off a lot of people. So I love the wraparound. I, like I said, it gives us a taste of, you know, uh, what a Sam Raimi Evil Dead movie might look like. Uh, not really, but might. And um, like I said, it it just explains why the demon is back in the woods. So now when we get our inevitable sequel, because this movie made 24 million over the weekend, so it's very obviously going to get a sequel. um, It'll probably be be set in the woods again. And now there's an explanation as to why the demon is back in the woods. So, yeah, I I am totally on board for that wraparound. It, It had one of the best kills in the movie with the scalping. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the, the the end scene where we see that it's Jessica that gets uh, possessed by the Deadite uh, right at the end of the movie, right before she goes to the woods. And then the events of the cold open will probably happen because uh, there was there was a jump back in time in the film after the cold open. Uh, we see one day earlier up on the screen, and that's when the, the bulk of our movie starts. So, yeah, there you go, folks. Evil Dead Rise. All in all, a fun time. You can nitpick some things here and there, but like, you know, overall, whether you feel like it's an Evil Dead movie or not, it's still a mildly fun movie. There's still some good kills, a shitload of blood in one particular scene. Um, Like I said, some pretty original stuff, like with the scalping and blah, blah, blah. Nothing too crazy, nothing nearly as crazy as what we got in 2013, but, uh, you know, for a theatrical horror film, still nice and juicy, some nice viscera throughout. Overall, I had a fun time with it. And like I said, as of right now, it's my number one movie of 2023. I can't possibly imagine it staying there. Um, There's a few movies that I'm actually waiting for that I'm, you know, fingers crossed are going to be near the top of my list. But yeah, overall, really good time with Evil Dead. And, you know, I may actually pick this one up, too, when it comes out on physical. I I already own every Evil Dead movie. So just to be a completionist, I might as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... If you're into this franchise, I I could see why you want it to be part of your collection. <laughs> and maybe it'll be an unrated version. I mean, you guys remember when we reviewed Megan, we talked about how tame the kills were. And then less than a month later, we get the unrated version on Peacock or whatever you know streaming service it was. So who knows? Maybe we'll get an unrated Evil Dead Rise later in the year. For sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
Maybe we'll get an Evil Dead Rises again in like a year or two. <laughs> <laughs> the next one will be Evil Dead Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead is risen. Um, all right. A lot's going to wrap up our discussion on Evil Dead Rise. But before we get out of here, let's uh, discuss or promote or talk about where else we can be heard. So, Venom, uh, what else you got out there right now? Uh, nothing else new from the last time we recorded. Uh, still Creature Comforts episode 16, where we looked at Tremors uh, with our special guest, Brandon Young. That's still our latest episode there. Uh, Crystal Lake Gift Shop episode three, still the latest episode for that one. Uh, the main show, um, episode 52, uh, was postponed again, unfortunately, due to a family emergency. So we're hoping to get that done either this weekend or next weekend. I think next weekend is, or this weekend is the plan as of right now. So fingers crossed that that um, happens. Uh, next episode of Creature Comforts will be recorded at the start of May. Um, who's our guest for that one, Donnie? I know we have a guest. I forgot his name. David. Oh, David Garrett. Right. Yeah. So David Garrett will be joining us when we review the monster, um, which I've only watched once and I do remember enjoying it. So I'm looking forward to this rewatch. Um, and David is a guy that I've worked with on the uh, podcast under the stairs summer series. So, you know, he's a, he's a good guy, great podcaster. So that'll be fun. Um, and I think that's all I have. Uh, I'll have some guest spots coming up on shows, but as of right now, uh, it's just the no more room in hell stuff for me. All right. Uh, Don, what about you? Yeah, uh, as mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts is the uh, late, <clears throat> latest episode there. Uh, we will be doing the you know latest the new episode uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, still no word on uh, the recorded guest spots of mine. Um, the Stu World Order show with uh, Red 2 and uh, Road to Nowhere with the Fulci uh, Triumvirate. So uh, just going to keep those in the you know, ether until uh, they finally drop, as like as I've said since uh, they've been recorded. And uh, I only have uh, one new episode this time of a horror countdown, but uh, it's one that I'm kind of proud of. I finally decided to tackle the ever controversial topic of sequels better than the originals. So that <laughs> is uh, my latest show, and uh, yeah, that's uh, a little bit more contentious than some of the other topics and. Uh, have, I've had some fun feedback on that one so far, so I'm kind of uh, excited about the, how that one's doing. So, yeah, go ahead and uh, give that one a shot if you want to hear everybody, you know, burn the ground, burn the, uh, burn the ground down with our choices. So, yeah, uh, that was a fun time. So, um, go ahead and check that one out. But uh, yeah, until uh, everything drops, I uh, can't really say much else. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, all for me. All right. Uh, yeah, for me, nothing else out yet. Uh, looks like, <laughs> I know, I know we said this like, what, three weeks in a row now, but we got, uh, the next episode of No More Roman Hell scheduled, so hopefully, uh, it gets <laughs> recorded, and I'll, I'll get that out. Um, and other than that, another episode of Fresh Cuts coming up in a week. Uh, is there, there's no theatrical release there this week, is there? I don't think. I don't believe so. I didn't think we had anything left in April. I could be I'm looking right now, but yeah, I don't I don't think we have anything theatrical. 
Yeah, there's definitely like some interesting movies, but I don't think they're horror because like that. C- what is it, Sisu or Suzu? That- Suzu. That's that's a war movie, isn't it? Are yeah, we yeah. calling that horror? No, no, no. I'm saying there's not. I said there's interesting movies that are oh, not oh, horror, oh. like movies I want to see, but not they're gotcha, they don't qualify gotcha. for fresh cuts. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. So it's like I'll probably be at the theater, just not for horror. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. Oh. Oh no, that's in June. Uh, the Boogeyman. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything for the next few weeks. Yeah, it might be uh, VOD time. Probably, uh, but there's plenty there to pick from. So we'll we'll figure that out and come back. Uh, but until then, that's uh, gonna do it. So we will catch you on the next episode. So let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Stop reading books you don't know and stop playing records that you don't know what the fuck is on it stick to your debbie gibson and shit <laughs> yeah uh word to the wise if you start playing any incantation i'm sure if you stop at the first word you'll be okay so turn the damn thing off okay yeah really <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> peace